Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. That is great. Well, I've got good news for you, and I'm not going to talk to you about the law. Sorry, Clive, but uh, I want to share with you, first of all, just say thank you for, uh, for your... I really thank God for Kingdom Faith, and I think, thank God for this beautiful place, this congregation, this church that he is raising up, and I think you're a, um, I think you're a great witness and an example um, to others, and I believe the Lord is doing great things here amongst you. So I thought the praise and worship this morning was wonderful. Thank you very much for the praise and worship team. Um, and I just want to share with you this morning, um, really from God's Word, I want to share with you, what I actually want to do is encourage you and encourage all of us to be looking to Jesus and to be looking to Him um, because I believe He is coming soon. Um, and you know our calling, we are the body of Christ, we are His bride we are one with Jesus Christ. We have been made completely one with him. And uh, he, he lives in us and through us. And um, our calling is to, to honour and to glorify his name, the name of the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe he's coming soon for his bride. So we are, I think, reaching the end of uh, a period of which, which the Bible calls the time of the Gentiles. The period, the fullness of the Gentiles is coming to its completion and it's time now for the restoration of Israel and the Jewish people and it's time, Lord, for the Lord to come and gather his harvest and he's elect from among the nations and he has elected us and called us not because we're better than anybody else but by his eternal purposes he has called us to be his holy bride, to reign with him in his kingdom. That is our calling, actually. So the calling of the church is to bring the gospel into the nations, to teach all nations and make disciples of all nations. But the purpose, the purpose is that we will reign in his kingdom. So um, I was in Jerusalem just 10 days ago at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which I've never done before. I've been in Jerusalem many times, but never at the Feast of Tabernacles, and that's a wonderful uh, time to be in Israel. Uh, Tabernacles is one of the three main feasts of the Lord, as you know, for the Jewish people. Uh, Pesach, Shavuot, Shavuot is for us, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Um, and uh, it's what the, what the Jewish people, Sukkot, and it's, it's the time... Uh, we read in Leviticus 23 that the Lord told Moses to instruct the Jewish people to spend this week at this time, it's the time of the harvest period in Israel, and to spend a week seeking the Lord and giving thanks to him that he brought them out of Egypt and led them into the promised land. And they have to live in these little huts. So what you'll find is the Jewish people, uh, even in Jerusalem today, on their veranda, they will make a little hut. And they'll put palm leaves or other kinds of leaves on that hut. 
and they will literally live in that little hut for that week. And the Lord says, this is to remind you that when you, when you came out of Egypt, I led you and provided for you. Uh, you lived in tents, literally. And through the ceiling, they have to make sure they can see the sky because through the sky, they see that God is looking over them. So it's a wonderful reminder, actually, that God is in control of Israel and of the Jewish people. Uh, and I just find it a real blessing to be with Jewish friends when they're celebrating uh, that time. Zechariah, the prophet, says in chapter 14 of, uh, of his book of prophecy that there will come a time when the nations will go up to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is quite an amazing thing, actually, um, to think about. There will be a time when the nations uh, will learn the ways of the Lord, when the nations will train for war no more, when they will seek the Lord and they will literally go up to Jerusalem to seek the Lord and to praise and honour him. This is the vision of the coming, coming messianic kingdom when Jesus Christ is back and we will be with him and reigning with him. And Jesus himself celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. It's written in John 7 that he came down from Galilee, as he did on many occasions to celebrate the Feasts of the Lord in Jerusalem. Like many, many Jews, he went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And on one occasion, his brothers who didn't believe he was the Messiah, said to him, you should come up to Jerusalem during the feast and tell the Jewish leaders that's who you are. And Jesus said, no, it's not my time yet. I'm not ready to do this yet. Uh, and so his brothers went ahead of him, and yet he still did go up in secret. And he said on the temple mount to those who were with him, he said, I am the living God, the living life, that anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He says, so he was sharing with them still in a mysterious way, not yet openly to the whole nation, that he is the one who provides for Israel and for the nations. Jesus is the provider. So Jerusalem is the focus of the Jewish people, but it also should be our focus. And I believe when we set our eyes and our focus on Jerusalem, certainly at this time, when the Lord is preparing the way for his return, we will see that in Jerusalem and everything that's going on around Jerusalem, the signs of his coming. So Jerusalem is in a way the focus for us. Um, and of course, the Jewish people have always for two or 3,000 years prayed towards Jerusalem. When Daniel was praying in Babylon, you'll recall, and he was praying and interceding for his people and repenting and praying for Jerusalem, he set his face towards Jerusalem, literally. And that's what the Jewish people do. So Jerusalem, I think for us as Christians, is also very, very important. It's the place, of course, where the feasts took place the feasts which, uh, of which, which God gave to the Jewish people, they are the feasts really for all nations, um, and so they are spiritually very significant for us. 
Jerusalem is the place when Abraham was called out of Babylon from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan to a place that God would show him. And he came, you'll recall, on that long journey. And finally, uh, he came to a place where he had to uh, conquer a number of kings who had taken his nephew Lot captive and they'd taken him up to Damascus. So Abraham chased after the kings and slew the kings and conquered them and it was pretty nasty and horrible. And he came back to a mountain and somebody came to meet him he'd never seen before, a strange figure, Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of the Most High. And this man came to him with bread and wine. And he said, I am the king of Salem and I am the priest of the Most High God, El Elyon, the priest of the God who Abraham was worshipping to, and, to whom, and, and who had spoken to Abraham when he was still in Babylon. So God was speaking then clearly and God was saying through Melchizedek to Abraham, I will provide for you. The bread and the wine are my gift to you to provide for you and for your people. And of course he is a type, isn't he, of Jesus himself who came with bread and wine, offered his own body and blood that he would provide for us. And Abraham offered him his tithes, his tenths of everything, as a, as a sign of honour to this priest. Of course, in a prophetic way to Jesus, who is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, we read in the book of Hebrews. And some years later, this mount that became known as the mountain of Moriah was the place where Abraham took his son Isaac when God commanded him to take Isaac to this mountain and to sacrifice him. And Abraham, in obedience, took Isaac, his son who was a gift from God himself, a miracle child who'd been born to parents who could not even conceive. And this child who God had prayed for and God had finally given, he now had to offer up as a sacrifice on this mountain. Of course, he understood nothing about why this should happen, but in obedience, he walked forward to do what God had told him to do. And as he was lifting the knife to take Isaac's life, God said, stop, and now I know that you are faithful and that you are doing what I ask you to do. Again, God provided by giving the, the ram, you'll recall, that was offered on that sacrifice in place of Isaac. So Mount Moriah, this Jerusalem, is the place where God provides. It is his provision for Israel and for the nations. And it will one day be that place where the word will go forth and the blessing of the Lord will go forth into the nations. Jerusalem is the place where David purchased the threshing floor of Arauna. You recall, he went up to defeat the Jebusites, which he was unable to do, but he purchased that threshing floor because he knew this was the place where God's name was going to be glorified. God said, this is my holy mountain. I want my name to be worshipped and glorified on this mountain. And his son Solomon built the temple, the temple where 
the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord was dwelling. You know, the cloud of the Lord that had accompanied Israel from Egypt to Canaan and was now dwelling in the temple. And Ezekiel says in chapter 40, this is the cloud, the Shekinah glory, which will come back to the temple from the east when the Son of Righteousness appears and the Messiah stands on the Mount of Olives. So Mount Moriah in the heart of Zion, in the heart of Jerusalem, remains God's holy place. That temple which was built and destroyed and rebuilt and again destroyed and God will one day again raise up, I believe. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus was teaching, where he went so frequently and with such joy to teach in the temple courts. He taught his disciples there. He spoke to the Jewish people, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and to the people who were there. And no doubt there were Gentiles also who were coming to the temple from time to time and were hearing the words of Jesus Christ. It's the place where he prayed. It's the place where he died, where he rose again. And Jerusalem is the place where he ascended to his father. You recall on the Mount of Olives, just opposite the temple. Those of you who have been there, you know it's just you're right next to the temple when you stand on the Mount of Olives. It's the place where Jesus was taken up to his father. And the angel said, he will come again. Why are you so amazed? He'll come again in the same way that he has been taken in the cloud and he will return in the cloud, the cloud of God's glory. So Jerusalem, I believe, is God's plumb line. It is God's testing place. It's the place of his provision, but it's also the place of his judgment. It's the place where he says to all the nations, this is my place. And this is where I am testing you to see whether you are accepting my ways or whether you are forming your own plans and ways. In Luke 19, we read that when Jesus came at the very end of his life, and he knew he was going to die and offer up his life as a sacrifice. And he came from Galilee down through Samaria. And you recall, uh, and he was speaking in Samaria. And then he came up towards Jerusalem over the back of the Mount of Olives. And when he saw Jerusalem, he wept. And he cried for Jerusalem. We read that in Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon which you, upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
So he knew the judgment that was going to come upon the Jewish people and the nation of Israel because they did not know the time of God's coming to them. And indeed, only 40 years later, the temple was destroyed and a million Jews were destroyed and slaughtered in the city of Jerusalem. And then 70 or so years later, in 135, the whole city was destroyed and another million Jews were slaughtered and the remnant was spread amongst the nations of the earth. So Jesus knew the pain and the suffering that was coming as judgment upon Israel. But he also knows the pain and suffering that's coming on the nations when they will be judged according to the way they have treated Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Jesus says also in Luke 21, there will be a time when Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. He says, first, Jerusalem will fall by the sword and they will be taken as prisoners into the nation, which is exactly what has happened. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time, times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then he goes on, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity and roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And we are coming to the end of 2,000 years of the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles is coming to its fulfillment. The Lord is preparing to gather his harvest. But a number of things have to happen. We don't know when the Lord is coming. He may come today and he will come as a thief in the night and we're commanded to be ready for him to come at any moment. And I believe nothing stands in the way of the Lord's coming for us as those wise virgins who are ready for the bridegroom. He will come as a thief in the night but still the glorious coming of the Lord in its fullness and in majesty, what all eyes will see, will happen only when a number of things have taken place. And one of the most important things is the controversy of Zion, as the prophet Isaiah calls it. The conflict around the city of Jerusalem. After the Jerusalem has been trampled by the nations for 2,000 years, as has happened... 2,000 years, the nations have been fighting for Jerusalem to keep control of Jerusalem, whether it be the Romans or the Arabs or the Crusaders or the Ottoman Turks or the British under the mandate period. The nations are keeping control of Jerusalem. And today it's the United Nations which is controlling Jerusalem. And it's the Arab Islamic world which is controlling the Temple Mount. You know, we cannot go today, you and I as Christians or Jews, to pray on the Temple Mount. It's not allowed because Islamic law does not allow it to happen. So the nations still have a control over the city of Jerusalem, even though it, since 1967 it has become the reunited capital of the state of Israel. But the full revelation of God's work in Jerusalem still needs to take place. But the nations will not let go of Jerusalem yet. 
the prophets speak very clearly in Jesus himself of a time of conflict when the nations will come up against Jerusalem. Zechariah 12 to 14 speaks of Jerusalem, the stumbling block of the nations, a cup of trembling for the nations. And in chapter 14 of Zechariah, he speaks of the nations, all the nations, who will come up against Jerusalem. A day of the Lord, he says in Zechariah 14, verse 1, a day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So there's coming a day when the nations will go up to fight Jerusalem. The book of Joel speaks about the division of Jerusalem. He says the nations are going up to plunder Jerusalem, plunder. So it's a time when when the Jewish people have already been restored in the land. It's a time when they're living in relative peace and security, when the land has become wealthy, worthy of plunder. And Israel today has become one of the most prosperous, wealthy nations in the world. It's become a success nation. It's living in some kind of relative peace, not entirely, but nevertheless, it's still in a kind of peaceful situation. And there's going to be a time when a number of nations will go up to attack Jerusalem. And in Joel 3, it speaks about them wanting to divide the land. One of the things that is happening today is that the nations are seeking to divide Jerusalem. It's very important we're aware of that because it's prophetically very significant. And they will try to implement that. So the United Nations, since 1967, since Israel took control over the whole city of Jerusalem, miraculously, in the Six-Day War, which is a war Israel should never have won, but they did and they succeeded and they took land which they never intended to take. And the city of Jerusalem has become the eternal capital undivided of the state of Israel. And the United Nations response is to say this is illegal. This is absolutely not allowed to be. It's null. It's void. It's it's devoid of any legality or legitimacy. This is the language that is used. And the solution that the UN and many nations of Europe and the world want to implement is to divide the city and the land into two. 
a Jewish state and a Palestinian state. And I believe this is a deception or a lie which the nations are believing. For one thing, it's not going to solve the Palestinians' problem. Amongst other things, they will be then brought unto some kind of uh, extreme Islamic state. And especially the Christian Palestinians and Arabs who are living in the lands are going to have a very difficult time. They will be ethnically cleansed of Jews. The Jews will not be allowed to live in East Jerusalem or the West Bank as they're not allowed really to live in most countries of the Middle East today, the Islamic world. So it's not, it's not a prosperous scenario for many. It's a political solution which the nations are trying to impose. But it is happening. And I believe it's a kind of a foretaste of the time when the nations will actually go up to Jerusalem and seek to implement this policy as the prophets have uh, foretold. There are other very significant prophecies about uh, the city, Ezekiel. Uh, those beautiful chapters, you, if you haven't read them or studied them, please do. Chapters 36 to 40, 41 of the book of Ezekiel tells the story about the restoration of the Jewish people and the land. Chapter 36 is God's prophecy speaking to the mountains of Israel. He says, you were desolate for years and the nations have sought to plunder you and to divide you, but I will restore you as mountains of Israel. Jerusalem is, of course, the most significant among the mountains of Israel. It's what we today call the West Bank which is a terrible term because it suggests they're not mountains at all, but somehow the banks of a river. This is not the banks of a river. This is mountains. It's Samaria and Judea. It's the heart of God's purpose and plans for his people and for the world. And yet this is the place that we want to divide. So in, in Ezekiel 36, he says, I will restore you mountains. And in Ezekiel 37, he says, I will bring the dry bones to life. I will restore the people on the mountains. And what have we seen since the Second World War? We've seen a nation that was almost destroyed, that was almost annihilated. Those dry bones have been given life and they are now back on the mountains of Judea and Samaria. And God is planting them there, never to be removed. The world doesn't like it. It calls them settlers and settlements. But these are Jewish people who are called by some mysterious prodding of the Holy Spirit to settle the land. And they're not there to destroy the Palestinians or kill them or remove them. They're there to settle the land and make it prosperous and bring it to life as God has called them to do. That is why he's brought them from Russia and from the Ukraine and from Ethiopia and from China and from India and from Australia and from Britain. He's calling his people home. And we thank God for that miracle that he is doing today. But in Ezekiel 38 and 39, he speaks of Gog and Magog. This is a prophet, a prophecy speaking to a number of nations in which God says, I 
have brought my people back to the land and I set my face against you, Ezekiel 38, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog or Rosh, the prince of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Mesech and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaw and bring you out with your whole army. And you will come with Persia and Cush and Put and be with them and with Gomer and all its troops from the north and many nations with you. Now, we believe God is speaking about the lands of the north. He says very clearly he's speaking about the lands to the north of Israel. What are the lands to the north of Israel? What's the most immediate land to the north of Israel? Russia, Russia a little further away, but in between there's a few countries. Yeah, Iran a little bit to the east, but pretty... Yeah, Lebanon, Turkey, Turkey. And then you get this sort of... So that line of nations from the north of Israel, we believe is God speaking to, to them. And, 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 of course, there are differences of, of interpretations of these, of these passages, whether it's Russia or not. I believe personally God is speaking about Russia and Turkey together with Persia which is Iran, of course, and Put, and Gomer, and Kush, which are some African nations, maybe, um, maybe a number of African and North, North African nations, and nations around. So they're not the immediate nations around Israel which have tried a number of, on a number of occasions to destroy Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Syria itself, uh, Iraq, um, and, and, and these nations which, which surround Israel, these are nations a little further away and they're going to come up against Israel with many nations to try and destroy it, invade the land and plunder it because it has become wealthy. It's very interesting today that Israel has discovered offshore gas and oil and it is becoming a, a net exporter of oil and gas into the Middle East. A huge gas and oil fields have been discovered off the coast of Israel. And the oil and the gas is going to run out in the Middle East. And Saudi Arabia will have no oil one day. And all the Gulf states. And who knows, Israel may be the one nation in the world which has that natural resource that the world so desperately needs. It's an example of God, how God is restoring this nation to prosperity and wealth, and this, these nations that God is speaking about will be jealous and they will seek to conquer it. And those of you who are following the news over the recent weeks, I think what we're seeing in Syria, now that the United States has withdrawn the remaining troops that it had in northeast Syria, is creating a kind of vacuum where we see exactly Russia and Turkey and Iran in a kind of triumvirate. Uh, Turkey and Russia have recently entered into uh, an alliance in terms of military uh, weapons. 
Russia is supplying Turkey. Uh, Iran is there in the background. There's constant interaction between Russia and Iran and Turkey. And the door is being opened for Iran to have a corridor through Syria into northern, northern parts of Syria and into Lebanon. And it's feeding Hezbollah with, ro with rockets and missiles. And I believe over 100,000 rockets are positioned in the hills of Lebanon today directed at Israel. This is all happening. And I don't expect the United States was ever going to be able to stop it. But this move now of Trump sort of withdrawing from the Middle East is creating this room, this, this space for these other nations to move in and have more influence. We're seeing a really fundamental change in the Middle East as we've never seen over the last 50 or 70 years. Uh, I believe it's all a sign of the times that we are living in. But God says he will judge the nations who seek to divide the land. He will judge the nations who seek to come up to destroy Jerusalem. He says, I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There will come a day of judgment upon the nations. And I believe part of our calling as the church and as the body of Christ is a prophetic calling is to speak into our nations about what is happening and the direction they are taking and calling them to bring themselves in alliance with God's purpose and to see Israel and the Jewish people in Jerusalem not as a problem to be solved but as a part of the solution. In fact, the key to the solution the Jews are not the problem, they are the answer. They are God's answer. But the world doesn't understand the problem. If you don't understand the problem, you're never going to get the solution right. That's one thing I learned at law school. At least ask the right questions. Work out what is the problem you're trying to solve. Once you get that right, then you can start thinking about solutions. But Europe today, and... and um, and I believe God is bringing this nation out of Europe to, in order for one reason, to have an independent policy regarding Jew, the Jewish people in Israel. Because European policy is the two-state solution. Uh, it's more than policy. It's become a religion. And Europe is saying, we will divide this land. The Palestinians will have their state, whether you like it or not, Israel. And I believe Europe is on a crash course with God, on a collision course with God. And God is going to bring the nations to a place of judgment. So Jesus says in Matthew 24, he says, there are a number of signs of my coming. This is, this is the conversation Jesus was having with his disciples when they said, what are the signs of your coming again? What, what are we to be looking for? Help us so that we will understand the, the signs of the times. And he speaks about many things and he speaks about the fig tree. He speaks a parable of the fig tree. He says, look at the fig tree. When the fig tree is starting to blossom, to, to grow and, and its leaves to grow and to start to bear fruit, then you know that the time is near. And the fig tree is a story of the national restoration of Israel. A fig tree in the Old Testament 
stands for the national identity of the people of Israel. And that fig tree is a sign of Jesus' coming. So ever, the last 70 years, we've seen the restoration of the state of Israel as a sign of God's coming. And we start to see all these other things happening as well as part of the sign of the time. He also said another sign is the gospel of the kingdom going to the nations. There will be an end time, fresh, a fresh, renewed bringing of the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. But it won't be this lukewarm gospel of half-hearted salvation. It will be the gospel of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that we have in the victorious Jesus Christ and the nations who will learn to recognize him as their Lord and Messiah. So it's about the coming kingdom. And I believe part of our calling as a church as well is to proclaim this gospel of the kingdom into the nations. There will be distress among the nations, he said. There will be the time of the Antichrist, which is a time of lukewarmness, where people are neither hot nor cold. They're not really interested anymore. It's a time of deception when people will believe lies because they no longer have a love for the truth. That's a sign of our times, isn't it? What we see in the world around us, nobody really knows anymore what the truth is. And probably we don't really care anymore. It doesn't matter too much. As long as we can just live, live nice, happy lives and get on with making ourselves comfortable and prosperous. But, God, but Jesus says, I call you to look for the truth and to seek the truth. It's a time of confusion. The time of the lawlessness of the last days is a time of confusion. I believe people are confused. They don't know where to go anymore. So it's very nice when somebody comes with a solution, which sounds very nice. People are looking to grab onto things. I think that explains a little bit the whole gender identity thing and, and, the, and the environmental thing now. People are looking for a new religion, something to hang on to, and they will believe the lies. So I want to close with the words of Jesus himself spoken through the Apostle John to the church in Laodicea. And we read it in Revelation chapter 3. You know, Jesus wrote these beautiful words. He spoke these beautiful words which John wrote down and sent to the churches. And I believe these are letters which have been given to the church through the generations. And maybe the last letter, the letter to Laodicea, is a letter for us. Because Jesus said this is a time of lukewarmness. It is a time when people really don't care anymore about things. And Jesus said, speak to the angel of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. Isn't that the state of the church today around us? Neither hot nor cold. As Clive said, they don't even want to think about Israel and the Jewish people. It's too controversial. It's too difficult. Let's just keep it, keep it simple. And I say, you say, 
says Jesus to the church. I am rich. I, don't, I have acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But Jesus is saying to the church today, I believe, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Three things I think Jesus is telling us. Purchase the gold of the truth, the truth which sets us free and which is refined by fire. Secondly, be clothed. Be clothed with the holiness of Jesus Christ. Live lives of holiness. And thirdly, put on the eye salve, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which will enable us to see. Study the words of the prophets that we understand the times that we are living in. And Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. We can expect difficulties. We can expect to be disciplined. God is going to be tough with us because he wants to refine us. And be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So, Father in heaven, we pray today. Lord Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of your Father on his throne. And Holy Spirit, you have been given by the Father and the Son to impart the life of Jesus to us. And Jesus says, all that I have, I have received from the Father. And all that I have, I give to you. And I share with you and we are one. So Holy Father and Son and Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are living in these days when Jesus is knocking at the door and he calls us to overcome. He calls us to be ready. He calls us to stand and to watch and to pray and to understand the times. Father, correct us. Father, discipline us. Father, renew us and change us. Help us to to find and to seek and to buy and purchase that gold, Lord, the the truth. Father, I pray for the leadership of, of, of this church, Father God, of kingdom faith and the churches of kingdom faith and all the churches of this nation, Lord that the leadership will learn to seek the truth and the holy gold of truth that has been refined, Father God. And they will no longer be lukewarm, but they will be on fire, Lord, for the things that you have promised. They They will be living in holiness. And I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord, upon the, the eyes of those, Lord, who are shepherds of their sheep, Father, the eye salve that heals our eyes so that we may see. We are blinded, Lord, until and unless you open our eyes. 
Father, open the eyes of the church in this nation. Bring a new revelation of the Holy Spirit and a fresh pouring of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and a fresh desire for the Holy Spirit. Restore this nation, Lord. Bring her to her knees. Bring this nation to a place of repentance, Father, where we seek repentance, Lord, and forgiveness for what we have done wrong over the last hundred years against your people, the Jewish people, against the nation of Israel. Father, it was Britain that opened the door for the restoration of Israel, but it was also Britain, Lord, which closed the door to the Jewish people. Lord, there is blood on the hands of this nation. Father, bring repentance. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive this nation. Pray for the, the government leaders, Lord. Father, a fresh renewal, Lord God. May, may, may Boris Johnson, Lord, receive a revelation of your spirit. Father, speak to him in his heart and in his spirit. And to the other leaders of this nation, Lord, that they will no longer walk in their own ways, but in the ways of the Lord. And we thank you, Jesus Christ, that you have the victory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.